Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Hello, dear Amelia listeners. Hope you've been enjoying season four so far. Um, If you need something to tide you over until the next episode, The Man With No Heartbeat, which comes out on November the 12th, I'd like to recommend season two of Orphan Black, the next chapter from Realm. We already recommended the first season of this official audio continuation of the hit TV series, but season two takes things to a new level. It again stars Emmy award-winning actress Tatiana Maslany from the original TV show. She voices all the clones, and in season two there are more than ever. But whereas the first season was just her, this time she's joined by a full cast, which features many of the original actors from the TV show. I got to listen to an episode of season two, and I think if you're a fan of the Amelia Project, you're really going to like Realm's Orphan Black, the next chapter. It's mysterious, suspenseful, uh, it features queer themes and characters, and the sound and production work is top notch. We're now going to play you the first episode of Orphan Black, the next chapter, season two. To learn more about it, go to realm.fm and be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Many thanks to Realm for supporting The Amelia Project. Previously on Orphan Black, the next chapter. Eight years ago, Sarah Manning, Alison Hendricks, Kasima Niehaus and Helena discovered they were clones and rallied to defeat the forces that sought to exploit them. In the process, Cosima and Delphine Cormier cured a fatal disease that threatened the nearly 300 leaders scattered throughout the world, most of whom remained unaware that they were clones. Eight months ago, while caught up in an international conspiracy to capture a terrifying bioweapon, the Sestras partnered with CIA operative Vivi Valdez, one of a different generation of clones based in the United States. But before Vivi or the Sestras could come to grips with these revelations, Young clone Charlotte Bowles decided to end the secrecy in which all their lives were mired and uploaded information about the clone's origins to every major news outlet in the world. Now the existence of clones is public and they have become objects of curiosity, suspicion and worse. And for the women who had not previously known they were clones, the fallout is only just beginning. Realm presents Orphan Black, the next chapter, season two, starring Tatiana Maslany, Jordan Gavaris, Evelyn Brochu, and Christian Brune. Episode one. Help me. You have to help me. Charlotte jolted in her seat, almost dislodging her headphones. She knew that voice, even through the distortion of sobs and desperation, even before the voice recognition software they had to get, because of all the pranks and wannabes, beeped confirmation. It was her own. What kind of help do you need? He's losing it. He just... I don't know. I I never would have thought he'd hurt me, but he fucking hates me ever since he found out. Open the door! Charlotte's throat constricted. This is my fault. Charlotte, you all right? 
Uncle Felix had been sharing a shift with her on the helpline, and she could see the growing concern in his eyes as she struggled to focus. Charlotte, do we need to call the police? Charlotte hesitated. There had been a video recently of a cop in uniform spewing anti-clone propaganda. Her adoptive father, Art, had been furious, but even before that, she had worried that calling the police might escalate situations that could otherwise be diffused. Still, she could just make out the man's voice through the door and the telephone line, yelling, ranting, shrieking. Charlotte looked at Uncle Felix and nodded, then turned her attention back to the caller while he dialed. Can you tell me where you are? We're going to direct the police to you. I locked the door, but I don't know how long it will hold, and I just, I don't, I, I don't understand why that I have to be this, this thing. You're not, you're, you're not a thing. Are you, are you like me? Are you a... Charlotte didn't know why she should be startled by that question, but it took her a moment to answer. Yeah, I, yes, I, I am a clone. <laughs> you live like this. How can you stand it? I wish I still didn't know. I live like anyone else. I, I know I'm not a thing. I'm a person, and and I'm me. The, uh, I, I'm not the same as my genetic identicals, but it's not always that bad, you know, having people who understand. Please, can you tell me where you are? Do you understand this? Who are you talking to? I can hear you in there. You fucking freak, are you plotting something? What would I be plotting? With Felix's eyes on her expectantly, the line to the police open, Charlotte clutched at her training. Tell me something about yourself. What city do you live in? You can do it. She coaxed an address out of the clone, and Felix turned to give it to the police. Hang in there. Help is on the way. Vacation? You're going on vacation? Vivi didn't think she'd ever heard Arun sound so surprised. Not that time when she told him what she found in the document safe of the Chinese embassy in Kinshasa. Not the time she had pulled out a knife when he didn't know she was carrying during that operation in Irkutsk. But Arun in person was different anyway. Before they started meeting casually, for coffee after work a couple of times a week, Vivi had been worried that the easy rapport they found when he was talking into her earpiece or snarking over a secure line wouldn't translate. It was there, all right, but Arun was also warmer. He smiled more than she thought he would. Vivi kept her eyes on the latte art topping her cup so he wouldn't catch her staring at his face. Are you going to Toronto by any chance? What? No. Vivi wanted to scowl at Arun. But her angry response had already given away too much, so she sipped at the latte foam instead. Just thought you might be taking the opportunity to talk more to some of those clones you met last year. This time, Vivi did glare at him. Did he think she should be with her kind? Why would I want to? Those fucking clones, with their stupid little pretend family, had broken her cover. Then, before Vivi had even gotten her head around that, 
Those self-righteous Gomemierdes had broken every clone's cover. And then they had gotten her involved in their ridiculous shenanigans, and she had ended up having to save them from their own pretensions to badassery. Vivian voluntarily thought of the one clone who truly was a badass, and repressed a shudder at the memory of her last conversation with Elena. It's not like they're the only clones in the world. In point of fact, there were altogether too many clones in the world, and now every one of them had a famous face. That's why the agency refused to assign her any field missions and was keeping her at a desk, probably until they figured out how to let her go. She forced herself to take another sip of the latte. Maybe I just want to go lie on a beach for a while, hmm? Arun looked skeptical, and rightly so. Vivi hated beaches. She blew derisively at the top of her cup, scattering the last of the latte art. I miss decent espresso and Cuban food. I'm going to get myself some pastelitos, uh, medianoche, some chicharrones, and that's just breakfast. Coño, that did sound good. There are Cuban restaurants in D.C. Not like the ones in Miami. I don't know if D.C. is catering to tourist taste or if they just can't get the same ingredients, but that's not the good shit. As long as you come back again. There was a long enough pause for Vivi to meet his gaze. She looked back down immediately. Did he really care? Or was he just in the habit of being supportive of her? Or did he pity her? She couldn't stand the thought that maybe the reason Arun was being so nice was that he felt sorry for her. For all her skill at reading people, Vivi was clueless when it came to flirting. Look, I know the way the agency is treating you is shitty, but there are people there who know how good you are, and I'm sure they'll figure out a way around this. Vivi glared at him again. Shitty? Massive understatement. She'd recovered the bioweapon they'd been so worried about, only so they could mothball it and Vivi along with it. If she didn't start feeling useful again soon, she was going to scream. What, like a mask or cosmetic surgery to change my face? Or maybe they'll move me into your job. Just tell me you're planning to come back from vacation. Five days. Now I really should go pack. Hey, are you sure you don't want company? Vivi looked back at him from the door. It was tempting, or it would have been if she had really been going on vacation. No clone is alone. Donnie, Donnie. Donnie dragged his gaze away from his phone to see Allison rapidly approaching from across the crowded bookstore. The kickoff of Helena's Orphan Black book tour was still 15 minutes away, and Clones at Home was on hand to cover it. Not that Donnie and Allison wouldn't have attended anyway, but they wanted to support Helena and hopefully vice versa, mixing it up with an offset event and reminding audiences why clones were exciting might be just what they needed to boost their sagging ratings. What is it, honey? Oh, oops, uh, hang on, let me just check this. Allison snatched the phone out of his hand. What are you doing on this thing? Sorry, honey, I, I just keep getting notifications, and you said that interacting with the fan base is important, so... Uh, how many... Donnie, what is this? Dad bought Donnie? You have a hashtag? Allison stuck the phone back in his face, but her clenched hand was shaking it so hard he couldn't see what she was pointing at. From the other side of the bookstore, Donnie saw Sarah smirking. Oh, that. That's uh, a term of affection, I guess, that... 
some of the fan club people have started using. Uh, uh, fan club? Well, yeah. Allie, don't you have one? Allison leaned in with a surreptitious glance at the signing table, where Helena pretended to listen to her publicist. Sarah, leaning against a bookcase and watching the twins and everything else at the same time, caught Allison's eye and sauntered over. We'll talk about it later. Have you seen the online chatter about Helena's book? What do you mean? Well, obviously not. Sarah, are you following the Orphan Black hashtag? You're kidding, right? You know, it wouldn't kill you to stay informed about what people are saying about us online. Sarah rolled her eyes. Right, like I need that kind of noise in my life. I'm serious. Some of the reactions the book is getting are not... Not what, Allie? Well, they're not what I expected. We're being attacked for the way we handled things and for keeping the existence of clones a secret for so long. So what? There was plenty of stuff in there that was going to upset people, especially once they started marketing the book as nonfiction. I'm telling you, it's more than that. Some people are even blaming us for clones being attacked recently. Seriously? What, did they just skip over the parts where we took down a few unethical corporations and saved all the clones from a fatal disease? Actually, that's one of the things they seem most angry about. Um, Allie, the camera's already setting up and our producer is waving us over. Maybe we should just circle back to this later. Sarah watched Allison follow Donnie to their crew and wondered how serious her concerns were. Internet trolls were nothing new, and Allison tended to be an alarmist when it came to her public image. At least Elena had used a little discretion about the things she'd chosen to reveal in Orphan Black. She'd left out the murders, at least. Sarah had expected the book to have its critics, but if it was something more, it was starting to feel like a worrying trend. I better check in with Elena. Even now, after months of knowing it was happening, Sarah tried not to look at the stacks of books with her face, Helena's face, on the cover. Not that that was the only cover clone faces were on lately. On the other side of the store was a big display for some new-agey book by a clone named Blythe Winston. But since her face was heavily made up as part of the gambit to sell her associated line of weird wellness products, it wasn't quite as unsettling. You all right? Nervous? Helena eyed Sarah from her sprawling slump at the table. Nervous for this? This is bookstore. They tell me bookstores are comforting, are opposite of nervous. I, yeah. Do you need anything? No. Yes, Sarah. What were those things called, the delicious things this morning? Uh, well, they were called scones, not that they were proper scones, though. You want me to go grab a few for you? Yes, please. The ones with the sweet, uh, what was it, on top? Glazed, glazed scones. Fucking travesty. All right. Oi, meatheads, let's go. Ah, Auntie S. We want to stay and read. What, is that even the kids' section? It's okay. Leave them. We have time. I watch them. All right, whatever. You two keep reading. Arthur <laughs> snickered, and Sarah almost laughed. Being an aunt was different from being a mom, she reflected as she walked past the crowd of people already gathering for Helena's reading. Or maybe she was just in a better place now than she had been all those years ago. She started to count the years and winced when Kira was born. Bloody hell, has it really been that long? But she was in a better place. That had to be a good thing, right? At least, apart from the lingering guilt that she hadn't been a better mom to Kira when she was little. But 
Ever since the clones had been outed last year, things had been better. As much as Sarah hated to admit it, as awful as it was to see her own face staring out from tabloid covers and being debated in inane news segments, she could grudgingly recognize that not having to worry about hiding or being discovered was a huge weight off. And the twins were... Sarah found herself smiling, even as she waited in line for those not-really-scones. Yeah, they were absolute little terrors, but they could also be so sweet. They cuddled, voluntarily. They talked a lot, telling her all sorts of things they just figured out, or learned, or made up. Sarah had been unsure about coming along on Helena's book tour, between her reservations about the book itself and the sneaking suspicion that it was a conspiracy to give her something to do. But when Helena had said the main thing was to look after Arthur and Don, she hadn't been able to resist. By the time she got back to the bookstore, the event room was already crowded with people sitting on folding chairs. Except not all of them were sitting. Some were standing up and yelling. She tried to sort through the tangled voices, and when she did, she was hit by that exact old feeling of doom, as when someone had discovered something about her that they shouldn't have known. You knew we were clones. You've known for years. You found all of us and visited everyone for these vaccinations you wrote about and you didn't even tell us? Shite. It hadn't even occurred to her that they would see it that way. After all, Cosima and Delphine had saved those clones' lives. But one thing Sarah had learned in her grift-based study of human nature was that people hated it when you knew something they didn't. And when that something was about them, she should have known. She should have seen this coming. Yes, you are angry. Yes, I know about angry. Her voice vibrated like a growl, carrying with it the reminder of the first part of her history, the childhood they all knew about from the interviews and excerpts of the book. Sarah scanned the room. She found Arthur, crouched beside a bookshelf, his hand on a book as if he had frozen in the process of putting it away, his eyes on the crowd. Don couldn't be far. Yes, there he was, standing by one of the pillars. His gaze was less fixed, and Sarah was able to catch his eye. She raised her eyebrows at him, flicked her eyes at his twin, mouth, now, and a moment later, Don had collected his brother, and the two were making their silent, Helena-trained way around the fringes of the crowd toward Sarah. She scanned again. Allison was focused on the situation with a look of absolute horror on her face, probably thinking about the ratings for her show. But Sarah was able to get Donnie's attention and gesture to him that she was getting the twins out of there. Aw, oh, Auntie S, do we really have to leave? Yeah, I wanted to watch Mata deal with them. All right, let's go find something fun to do instead and let your mom focus. I don't see why she can't. Arthur had been going to say, can't focus with us there, which had been his mantra throughout all these discussions about the book tour, and was easily answered with numerous examples of the twins causing distractions that threatened their own or other people's lives and limbs. However, on this occasion, he was interrupted by a rumbly crowd of people straggling into the other end of the hallway. Placards bobbed above their tacky, highlighted hairdos. Not God's plan. Each of us unique. Stone clones. All right, meatheads, let's go a different... Stone clones? That's a bit bloody much, isn't it? Hey, there's one. Shite. Sarah started to back away. She's got kids with her. She's corrupting those kids. You what? 
Sarah fought the urge to laugh, but it quickly dissipated when another of the protesters stepped forward, brandishing a baseball bat. We don't want you here. I don't really want to be here either. Let's go, boys. Come on, Arthur. She's our aunt. Don stepped up beside his brother. And she's here to support our mom. I don't think he's really going to use that baseball bat. Oi! I don't think he knows that he uses it. I don't use it on kids. Look, I got no problem with you two, but we don't trust clones. Where did they come from? What are they doing here? How did they even make them? Sarah sighed and tried to be smart. (sighs) I'm right here. You know, they are selling a book in there that answers all those questions, yeah? She shouldn't have attracted their attention. As soon as the spokesman turned back to her, his whole attitude changed. He could talk reasonably to nine-year-olds, it seemed, but not to her. I told you we don't want you here. Now get He shook the bat a little. Sarah concurred with the twins that he probably didn't mean to use it, but Arthur and Don were practically growling now, and if they got the fight going, he might start swinging. It's okay, boys, let's go. Ah, Auntie Come on, this could be better than the bookstore. Sarah was considering the odds of dragging the twins away when there was a shout from the other end of the corridor by the bookstore. Hey, what's going on there? The city cop, not mall cop, Sarah noted, as the man approached, and she wondered if he had been called because of what was going on at the bookstore. She took a deep breath, ready to explain her innocence, but the twins were already on it. Officer, these people were threatening us. They said terrible things about my mother. Sarah tried not to roll her eyes, but it seemed to be working. What's going on here? Do you have a permit for this? The protesters dissipated, grumbling. Sarah offered a shaky smile to the cops, then remembered she had something else to offer, and raised the paper bag she was still holding. Scone? The cop looked her up and down. You're one of those clones, aren't you? You better clear out, too, instead of causing trouble. It wasn't the first time either, just the first time the police were too late. Delphine, who was sitting next to Charlotte and rubbing her shoulders, raised her eyes to meet Cosima's, sitting in front of them on the tabaret. In them, Cosima saw a helplessness to equal her own. It's not your fault. It is, though. Anti-cause, it's exactly my fault. I'm the one who, who... You called the police. You listened to her. You helped. You did. I'm the one who outed her in the first place. This is my fault. Every single clone who's been harassed or considered suicide, been attacked, questioned their own humanity, it's all my fault. Charlotte had stood up, and Cosima stood with her, feeling awkward. Fuck, why was it so hard to know what to do? Charlotte, you made a really difficult decision. Okay, you don't know, you, you might have saved some clones too, right? By telling them who they are. You're not responsible for what other people have done with that information. Delphine stood up as well, although with slightly more difficulty. Cosima is right. And besides, in this day of social media and facial recognition, how much longer could it really have gone on? You probably saved a lot of people much confusion and distress with that clear public explanation. You two don't know what it's like. It's not like any of your decisions has ever gone wrong like this. (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Of course we have. But we always did what we thought was the right thing, just like you. Charlotte, you know why I'm so impressed with you? You and Kira did something to make it better. Founding this helpline, 
working in this difficult, hands-on ways. Kira barely helps anymore. She's so busy with school and that research project and her girlfriend. Kasima bit her lip to keep from asking Charlotte how school was going for her. She knew there had been at least one instance of anti-clone graffiti on campus. Still, you are helping. I don't know that I am. I didn't help this woman. Even the ones who don't get... who survive, I don't know if they actually feel better after they talk to me. And I think other people out there are doing more. Kasima and Delphine exchanged a puzzled glance. Doing more? When people call or email, sometimes they talk about the other resources they've tried. At least one of the regular suicide helplines has hired a clone, and there's this other group they talk about, Tethys or something. Is that, um, what's her name, uh, Blanche? No. Blythe Winston's company? The wellness, uh, I'm not even going to call her a guru. I've seen her on TV doing the same circuit of news shows that Rachel and I get called for. She's kind of superficial, though, isn't she? Like very blah, blah, rich person wanting to look beautiful and young forever stuff. Whatever she's doing, like, can't be that much more useful than the helpline. You'd be surprised. They say that this group does things like find jobs for people and stuff. Wait. Jobs? Do you know how many of the people who call in have lost their jobs because they're clones? If it's brain work, they're worried about NDAs and corporate espionage. If it's retail, they blame it on customer reactions. And that's even without all the extra issues around identity cards and passports. Governments around the world were scrambling to figure out how they could identify clones. And some of them, predictably in Kasima's opinion, were using it as an excuse to clamp down harder in their surveillance of everyone. Fascists. Anyway, they have this whole clone pride thing going on with an online video channel and everything. You, you wouldn't believe how many followers she has all over social media. Clones and non-clones. They really listen to her. And I don't know. I want people to feel good about themselves, but I'm also not trying to tell them clones are better or something. It sounds to me like someone trying to make a buck off of other people's hurt. Don't worry, Charlotte. Most people will see through that bullshit, and they'll need someone like you when they do. Ugh, maybe. I just feel like I'm not doing enough. The fear and the pain some of these women feel is so awful, and I just don't know if anything I do will ever make up for the role I played in putting them through this. Kasima's gut twisted. Charlotte wasn't going to stop beating herself up. She wasn't listening, and maybe she was right not to. Kasima didn't know what to tell her. It was a wicked problem, and when she and Delphine had to decide whether to tell clones who they are, they had come down on the other side of it. And sometimes she still felt guilty about that. If this was what parenting was like, she wasn't sure how she was going to handle it. Anyway, I should get some homework done. Charlotte shuffled off to the basement apartment where she was staying while Art and his new partner, Jessera, were taking a week away at a bed and breakfast somewhere. Delphine met Cosima's eyes and smiled, one hand on her belly. Ah, so much angst to look forward to in 18 years or so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good thing we're getting the practice now, I guess. Her fingers twitched to pull out a joint, but she had promised Delphine she wouldn't toke around her during the pregnancy. She edged toward the door, trying to think of an excuse to go to the greenhouse. It's normal to be anxious about parenthood. Yeah, I know, but 
this is hardly a normal parenting experience. There is no normal parenting experience. And while ours is, of course, unique, we're not alone. Kasima scowled. She knew where Delphine was going with this. It was an ongoing argument. Cherie, I know you are very careful of your, our privacy, but infertility is one of the stressors for newly aware clones. And I still think it's worth offering a little of our information so we can give them hope. Delphine wanted to publish about the technique they had used, creating sperm cells from Cosima's bone marrow, so that the fetus would include genetic material from both of them. I, I know it could help people, but it just, it doesn't seem fair to the kid, like telling the world they're an experiment before they're even born. We can do it anonymously, of course. I am an expert in bioethics after all. How anonymous is it going to be when you have to reveal that one of the parents is a clone and both are female? Maybe, uh, maybe after the birth, I don't know. Delphine opened her mouth to say more, but before she could, Charlotte's voice floated up to them. Auntie Cause, Aunt Delphine, have you looked at the Sestra chat lately? It looks like something is happening at Helena's book launch. Felix wasn't exactly regretting that he had told Charlotte to take a break from the helpline for a few days. The poor kid had been absolutely done in, and he couldn't blame her. She reminded him of Sarah during the worst times, except that Charlotte wasn't going to take off on a cross-country confidence game tour. Charlotte would huddle up and feel terrible and then keep going. So he wasn't regretting it exactly, but it was also very quiet. And when the calls did come, Hello, clone care. How can I help? I... I usually talk to someone named Charlotte. She says she's a clone, too. Oh, love, I'm sorry. She's not here right now. And it's true, as you can tell, I'm not a clone. But I grew up as brother to one and have been with her all through the process of learning about it, so I'm here to help as much as I can. Well, I... I'm trying to come to terms with it, you know, and the way people look at me on the street is bad enough, but... What's bothering me lately, what I can't get out of my head, I read that book. You know, the clone book, Orphan Black? Yes, I know it. Have you read it? I'm very familiar with it, yes. Just all the information about why why we were made and the people who made us, it's just so, so grubby and industrial and mercenary and Felix had heard comments like this before, although not as many before the excerpts from Helena's book started coming out. You have parents, though, yes? They weren't involved in any of this. None of this changes your real family. Yeah, it might be better if it did. My parents have never exactly been the most... Catching motion in his peripheral vision, he looked up as the door to the office opened. Colin slipped inside, and the tension in Felix's chest loosened a little. He smiled at his husband, then went on as soothingly as he could. You're not the only one who's had difficulties with their family, either. And I'm very sorry to hear it. I wish I could help. But none of that changes who you are. That's something I've seen all my sestras, uh, all the clones I'm close with. They've all had to learn that. Wait, are you... you're in the book, aren't you? Felix grimaced and gestured at Colin to sit down. As he did, Colin held up a takeaway container. That gave Felix strength. 
but it was 15 more minutes before the caller thanked him anemically and hung up. He could finally remove the headphones and fall into his husband's lap. Did you get me the good tacos from the place next door to the Korean supermarket? Oh, thank you. You're an angel among men. Colin reached up to rub the back of Felix's neck. I just don't want you to waste your way here. Rough day? Covering it all myself. I'd give Charlotte a break. She's worn out from all this. And now you're going to be. Ugh, let's talk about something happier. Are you going to come out to the set for my Clones at Home appearance tomorrow? I wish I could, babe, but the Emmy is really understaffed right now and I couldn't get out of my shift. Oh, don't pout now. Is it going to be fun? What's going to happen? Darling, it's reality television. Reality. How would I know it's going to happen? Hey, fine, they sent me the script last week. I'm basically just there to support Ali, but they're counting on me to say something scandalous. (laughs) Not too much of a reach. Don't be cheeky. Felix picked up his cell and swiped open the new text message, then grabbed Colin's arm. Colin's taco was at a precarious point, and as he looked up inquiringly, half of it pinataed onto the container. Felix barely noticed. Sweetie, sweetie's my agent. They say, well, they say someone's asked for a commission. That's amazing. Darling, I'm so glad. Not as glad as I am. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love that the appraisals of my pieces have skyrocketed since clones became public knowledge, but I'm also so tired of painting clones. It's a good time to move on. Do they say anything more about it? Well, Marjorie says they're going to email me the full details, but it might involve travel. Maybe Kira and Donnie will be able to take some shifts here. Another text, but when Felix swiped this time, the message wasn't from his agent. It's Sarah. Helena's book tour has been cancelled. Why? The publisher's worried about escalating attacks on clones and doesn't want the liability. Presumably for what Helena would do to the attackers. Colin snorted. But Felix couldn't help thinking about all the other clones that hadn't been trained as assassins by fanatics. Like the clone that Charlotte hadn't been able to save. This wasn't right. Canceling the book tour wouldn't help. The world needed to hear more from clones, not less. I don't know, Colin. It feels like it's all starting again. Honey, no. It'll be all right. This is a tough moment, but they'll get through it. People will get used to them. Attitudes change, sometimes quicker than we expect them to. Sometimes not quickly enough. Vivi rested her head against the window of the private plane trying to figure out where they were based on the pattern of lights below. She should have requested a stopover in Miami for a cafecito and some pasteles. At least then she would have a better idea of their trajectory into the Caribbean, and maybe she'd be able to identify the speck of a private island they were supposedly heading for. Sure, this was just a job interview, but that didn't mean she shouldn't follow basic operational security. A job interview... Vivi had never thought she'd leave the agency. She'd figured she'd retire from them if she wasn't killed in service. Like her parents. But ever since she'd been revealed as a clone, her job had gone from everything to nothing. She couldn't stand being pushed into a desk job, as though she were useless. She couldn't stand driving to the stupid office every day and driving home having done nothing. Then she'd gotten the email, out of nowhere, saying that she could use her unique skills to help other clones. Vivi was skeptical, but so far, every due diligence effort she had made had checked out. And here she was, as promised, on a private plane. And surely anything would be better than the limbo of a job where they wouldn't let her work. Right? 
she felt a change of alignment as the plane started its descent. Twenty minutes later, the door opened on a breath of sweet night air, laced with the scent of hibiscus. Vivi climbed down to the tarmac and looked around. The clone who stepped forward to meet her was as well put together as anyone Vivi had ever seen, like she expected to be on camera at any moment. She smiled and held out her hand. Vivi gave it a solid clasp. Vivi Valdez. That's me. I'm Blythe Winston. Welcome to Haven, where we're trying to offer all clones a new beginning. I think you're going to help us do it. You're listening to Orphan Black, The Next Chapter, starring Tatiana Maslany, Jordan Gavaris, Evelyn Brochu, and Christian Brun. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Orphan Black, The Next Chapter, Season 2, is executive produced by Tatiana Maslany and stars Tatiana Maslany, Jordan Gavaris, Evelyn Brochu, and Christian Brun. Based on the television series Orphan Black, produced by Boat Rocker Studios. Written by Malka Older, Madeline Ashby, Helly Kennedy, E.C. Myers, and Lindsay Smith. And produced by Marco Palmieri and Haley Wagreich. Associate produced by Nicole Otto and Diana Foe. And executive produced by Molly Barton, AMC Networks, and David Fortier, Ivan Schneeberg, and Jessica Shadlock of Boat Rocker. Performed by Tatiana Maslany, Jordan Gavaris, Evelyn Brochu, Christian Brune, Alyssa Zia, Vikas Adam, Taya Garlett, Hudson Mako, Stephanie Shea, Daniel Bonjour, Stephanie Frame, Tiana Camacho, and Nathaniel Kwaku. Directed and produced by Kaylin West. Sound design by Rory O'Shea. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Musical theme performed by Two Fingers and composed by Amon Tobin. Music composed by Trevor Yule. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. This is Yanni, and welcome to season two of Harlem Queen. Thank you for listening. The season picks up with the search for Michelle. You are listening to the Floyd J. Calvin program. And now, straight to the headlines. Manhattan debutante and socialite Michelle Mondesir has been kidnapped from her Connecticut boarding school. There is a tri-state search for Mademoiselle Mondesir, who is 15 years of age, Caucasian, and was last seen yesterday evening going to her dormitory. Stephanie is frantic and she risks all in order to find her missing daughter. We will find Michelle. There are troopers all along the New Jersey and Pennsylvania highways. That's not enough. Madame Stephanie St. Clair posted a $10,000 reward for information that leads to the safe return of Ms. Mondesir. You need to take down your reward, Stephanie. I will not. Those no-good couples are already saying she's dead. The connection between the debutante and the numbers queen is unclear. And Stephanie still has to contend with Luciano and Schultz plotting to push her out of her own turf. Word on the street is that it's Schultz. Who cares about a lost colored girl? This one is white. 
Fifth Avenue debutante, lot of money, well connected. And I want to find out why Stephanie is so fixated on the girl. Stephanie is highly invested in her safe return. What do you need me to do? I need you to cheese it. What about Sinclair? You tried to clip her twice. Is she pushing up daisies? No. We're gonna get her another way. Even Halstein is suspicious. Is he truly a friend or a foe? She's putting herself behind the eight ball. There's something more there, and I need to find out. In the meantime, someone has to earn the money she's deciding not to earn. You have no power in this case, Stephanie. In fact, you're a liability. I will do everything in my power to get her home safe and sound. Listen up for season two. Harlem Queen is a recipient of the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council's Creative Engagement Grant. And once we all get through this safe and sound, we will have a live radio show of Harlem Queen this fall. More episodes to come. Take good care and stay well. Thank you.